much. I'm closer. So, like, I'm too far away. I just saw Peyton Manning doing something on TV, but I'm not sure what. <laughs> was it? He's like, so they're doing like a broadcast of like some Monday night game, Peyton Manning and Eli, but Peyton was standing up, like, talking about a play, so I have no idea what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Peyton Manning can't even turn his head around no more, can he? Got to turn around like this. It <laughs> <laughs> messed up Nick. Yeah. Brother was making fun of him because he lifted up his arms and there were like hip stands on his shoulders. <laughs> I tell you what though, the uh the brother that that, that was injured years ago, uh his son, man, he is like that. He played quarterback down in Louisiana. Cool. Man, that dude is like that. I think his name is Arch. Like it's like their father. Oh really? There's another one? About to be another man in quarterback in the NFL it looks like. That's pretty crazy. Damn, I just want to get a kid through high school. They got four kids. They're about to have, what, four people in the NFL? Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> There's, like, an, another brother, too, that, but he didn't make it to the NFL. Yeah, I think it's his son is the one that's playing quarterback now in high school. Oh, okay. That's the one that's doing the thing. The I see three. Yeah. Uh, Welcome to get his name. Sports on the uh, Hill podcast. Cooper. I think his name is Cooper. Yeah, that's right. Sports without yep. the politics with Carol and Robbie on True Radio Network. Thank you, gentlemen. Yeah, he has like some neck problem. Otherwise, he'd probably be in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, they, they said that he was a beast. That's right. Have, like, it's Monday night. Sports on the Hill podcast, True Radio Network, coming to you live from the lab. As you can see and you can hear, we got Paul the boxing guy. We got a room B on. If you heard during the intro, they was talking about all different types of sports. They didn't know you were, they were getting picked up, but that's another thing I forgot to fill them in on. But welcome back. Sports on the Hill podcast, episode 242. Uh, Washington football team with an ugly, embarrassing loss. Uh, we got some Nationals talk. They're actually playing now against Colorado. Uh, I think the second inning just ended. It's still tied 0-0. Uh, they had a three and four week. This is the last week of the baseball season. Well, for the Nats baseball season. Postseason's right around the corner. So we'll talk a little bit of Nats and break down what's next for them. And you know we got Paul the Boxing Guy on, so you know we got some boxing coverage at the end of the show. To break down and some of the fights. Holes. Yeah, the end of the fights that uh, this past <laughs> weekend. So uh, we got a full show. We're going to try to get in about an hour and a half because I done had a long day and did three shows yesterday after that ugly game, the pregame and postgame. But we're definitely going to get into that. Uh, Rune, how you doing tonight? Appreciate you joining us. You know, we got Robbie on paternity leave and Brian feeling under the weather. Brian, get well soon. And uh, we got you on tonight. How are you feeling tonight, sir? Not bad. Kind of a little bit disappointed after the game yesterday. I thought it would be closer, but it is what it is, and hopefully they play better going forward. Yeah, I mean, we all had it as a loss, but we I was hoping it wouldn't get that ugly. And what sucked is, in my pickup, I decided to be a homer and went with the Washington football team. I was in first place with a one-game lead. 
now I'm in second place because yesterday was just crazy in the NFL with some of the outcomes. But I had it as a loss, but you know I was hoping that they might be able to pull off something up there. But after I heard the stat that they hadn't won in Buffalo since 1987, I should have switched my pick, but uh, I didn't take heed to that advice. Paul, the boxing guy, what's going on, man? We finally got you on screen. You went through the <coughs> pandemic hiatus and turned into the the wolf man. Now you back in human form. How you doing tonight, sir? Hey, I was looking like Teen Wolf for about <laughs> a year. And I said, man, look, let me hide. Every, look, every time you ask me, can you come on on Zoom? I say, can I hide my face? So I got the fresh one. I said, I may as well take advantage of it. So doing pretty good, man. It's good to be on. And much like you, Pearl, in the pick'em, I'm a career 70 percenter. But I chose to be a homer this week myself, so I'm probably more like a 60 percenter. And to top it off in the fantasy league, I tried to get cute and uh, sign the old running back wide receiver combo player from Cleveland since Jarvis Landry went down, and he got me .1 points. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's just stick with your gut, man. Stick with your gut. No doubt that's what I definitely should have did because <clears throat> now I'm in second place and, you know, rooting on the damn – Cowgirls to beat the Eagles tonight. I still can't wrap my head around that. But uh, let's go ahead and get into this uh, ugly game that we saw yesterday. Um, my quick take is, uh, like I said, it was a measuring stick, like Coach said. Uh, after looking at, I went in my pregame, looking at the Buffalo's defensive numbers and looking at where the Washington football team was. It looked like it was going to be an ugly game, and I said if they didn't uh, dictate the pace, run the ball, offense come out, you know, not taking to the second quarter to get going or getting down 7 to 10 or 14 points. And unfortunately, all the keys to victory that I went over yesterday is like the team did the total opposite. Um, bad game plan offensively and defensively. Uh, no adjustments need, uh, were made. Uh, after they made adjustments to what we were doing when they, you know, were able to come back and get within – a touchdown, but um, yeah, turnovers was a uh, yeah, it was the wrong game to have turnovers. It was a windy day, so I'm not sure why Scott Turner was so dead set on passing the ball instead of running, giving the ball to Antonio Gibson. And then when he did throw the screen to him, he broke it for a 73 yard touchdown. You know, feed <laughs> feed your guy. You know, you don't have to have Heineke throwing the ball all the time, especially on a windy day. You know, going against the wind, it was just some uh, bad play calls. Bad game plan, and it was just, uh, you know, 43 to 21 pretty much says it all. Um, stats for the game. Um, Heineke, oh no, that's the wrong one. I'm sorry. Will be the stats from before the game yesterday. Those are no good to look at now. Uh, like I said, 43 to 21, Washington now since one and two. Uh, Heineke went 14 for 24, 212 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions with an 80.6 quarterback rating. Josh Allen went 32 for 43 for 358 yards, four touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, no interceptions with a 129.8 quarterback rating. Antonio Gibson only had to uh, carry the ball 12 times, 31 yards with a 2.6 yard average and no touchdowns. Last two weeks combined, he's only had 25 touches. He should be getting out of game, not every two games. Uh, Zach Moss for Buffalo uh, had 13 carries, 60 yards, with a 4.6-yard average and a receiving touchdown. 
Uh, Logan Thomas had uh, four catches, 42 yards, a touchdown, and that costly fumble. Uh, Terry McLaurin uh, was kind of held in check. Four catches for 62 yards, no touchdowns. And Antonio Gibson, as I mentioned, had the one catch for 73 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Manuel Sanders killed the uh, secondary. Kendall Fuller, in particular, he had six catches for 94 yards with an 18.8-yard average and two touchdowns. Uh, Beasley, uh, who used to have good games when he was with the Cowboys, uh, tied a career high with 11 catches for 98 yards, no touchdowns. Excuse me, Stephon Diggs was pretty much held in check with six catches for 62 yards, no touchdowns. So, um, yeah, it was just bad. The room, before I go any further, <laughs> I go into a diatribe. The room, what did you, what was your synopsis of this game? You know, we said, you know, it pretty much would be a loss. We didn't want to see it get this ugly, but how do you critique some of the things that was going on? Where, where do you see some of the issues lie with uh, this offense right now? Is it play calling or is it the players? Is it lack of Samuel being out there? What do you think is going on with the offense? Um, yeah, definitely the run game didn't really get going, as you said. Gibson, he had 12 carries, but only 31 yards. McKissick actually got a couple good runs, three carries for 23 yards, which is pretty good. But Heineke, a couple of his passes were kind of like he flew on one of his receivers for that interception. And I thought they actually, after that special teams onside, accidental onside kick, thought and they scored a touchdown. I thought this would actually be a much closer game, but Allen, they didn't get really that much pressure on him. Like, on those big throws, he was a second away from potentially being hit on one of those plays, but there were bombs to Emmanuel Sanders, and speaking of fantasy, I left him on my bench, which was pretty dumb, but I left Zach Moss on mine. Yeah, I tried to pick him up, but somebody picked him up before I did, so I don't even want to talk about fantasy football. My Two of my players got injured in the first quarter, and uh, Lamar Jackson didn't have a game I thought he was going to have. That's all I need to say. Yeah, just like overall, like Allen was doing whatever he wanted to do. I thought like the longer week they looked, I thought they'd be angry. The defense would be angry coming off that Giants performance where they weren't that good. It was a short week, but this game they have a lot more time to prepare. But as you guys have mentioned, Buffalo's like a much, like they're like much better team they've been building a good team for a long time so hopefully washington can get there and they can learn from this game that's definitely the recipe with buffalo you know was going through this doing going through their issues and mcdermott the coach who actually was under barrera he took over the team and now they're a super bowl contender they build it the right way and coach barrera is hoping to do the same thing with with this team and as i mentioned yesterday daryl johnson said uh, made a very valid point that you know, they won the division, but it was a 7-9 team. So now they're going up against first-place teams, and now you're seeing some of the deficits that they were able to get over with in the NFC East by winning the division, but there's still some things that need to get worked on. Paul, what do you say uh, for what you saw offensively from this team? Man, first, I hate to rehash the draft because I was all going to draft because the offense needed weapons. I didn't want them to trade up. I knew Devontae Smith wasn't going to be available. So I wanted Johnny Brown. They got him. And I was happy they got him. They needed speed, somebody that could run decent routes and learn. And um, they brought in Curtis Samuel, which is, you know, new to system, speedy guy, kind of utility guy on offense. You can give him the ball off the backfield. 
you know, I mean, he actually he burned his last year, you know, when they when they played Carolina. But you know, I still have not forgotten that Washington skipped on Najee Harris twice when they could have had a bigger back, what five eleven, two twenty to complement. Skip every single time. I mean, you can't keep depending on. Two of the same. You got two of the same running back positions, Gibson and McKissick. Now I'm not. Now that's not a slight against Gibson. I'm just saying similarly usable running back. If the if, if if Gibson isn't getting it between the tackles, you know, say okay, you throw the screen at him. But then you make you make yourself one dimensional. Then, so you know that okay, you know, we don't really got to worry about him running the ball between the tackles. He might go out on a want to toss or, you know, or, or, or screen or something like that or, or, you know. But other than that, they don't really have much else. I mean, they have the speed. They have given Logan Thomas, had, you know, former quarterback, had a career year last year, had a touchdown. But at the same time, they have no veterans. The whole team has no veterans. And I know we talk about offense, and I'm going to get into the defense later because I actually got a lot more to say about the defense. Um, but what's funny is, I'm not really down on this team like a lot of people are for the very reason I just said a second ago. They are young. And I think as the season goes on, we're going to start to see a little more consistency. Hopefully, whether it be with Heineke or Fitzpatrick, hopefully we're not in the situation signing guys off the street um, like last year. Um, I just feel like this team is not losing because of offense, which is different than last year when I felt they were losing because of the offense. So I'm not as worried, um, especially with Buffalo. I mean, Buffalo, didn't they just win 35 to nothing last week? Um, I just feel like they, I just kind of feel like this is a story and it's breaking down into a story of two coordinators that really need to start feeling the heat, Scott Turner and Jack Del Rio. And when we when we get to the defense, I'm gonna kind of elaborate a little bit more on why I say, on why I say that about Del Rio. No, oh, no doubt, I was thinking he already know. But with Turner, he's uh, I'm starting to feel like I'm starting to feel the same way I felt when Gruden was here when he was calling the plays. It's like he wants to continue to throw the ball instead of going with fundamental football, time of possession, which they've lost every game this year. <clears throat> Control the line of scrimmage, let your line run block instead of pass block which they, you know, linemen enjoy run blocking more than pass blocking. And, you know, dictate the pace of the game. You know, you, Gibson had the first game, the game 20 touches, 90 yards. He had to fumble. Last week he only had 13 carries, but still had over 60, uh, almost 70 yards with a 5.8-yard carry uh, average. This week he got the ball 12 times for 31 yards. And you have to, against a team with a good defense, just like a good line like they have, they have also had a, uh, front four that was all first round picks also. So you got to run the ball. And, you know, McClissick did get in there and run the ball because they were talking about that during the broadcast that, you know, when they see McClissick, they know it's pretty much a passing play. So that's what they were giving him the runs. And he was, you know, getting, you know, some decent yardage. But they went away from that. And, you know, like I said, the Logan Thomas fumble really swung the momentum because, you know, it was 7 nothing. He made a good play. He was trying to fight for extra yards. Boom, turnover. They go down to score, and boom, Heineke throws the interception the next drive. Boom, another touchdown, you're down 21-0. So, 
they shouldn't have had Heineke, you know, throwing the ball that much that early. And his, his play calling has to get better. Uh, Samuel, when he gets there, things gets healthy. Things might change. He's eligible to come to play this game because it'll be three weeks on the IR, and they have up to another three weeks to get him on the field. Uh, coach said they're going to see how he looks to, uh, on Wednesday. So, I mean, but you have to play to your team's strengths, and you have to give the team a chance to win, which is, I mentioned in the pregame, that you have to game plan. You have to have a good game plan to, give these, to put these guys in a position to win. When you finally did throw the running back screen instead of the tight end screen that he loves to call all the damn time, you see him break up a 73 yard. And we didn't see it again for the rest of the game. That's why I say I feel like I'm watching Jay Gruden again because you'll have a play that works and you never see it again in the game. We mentioned that last week on the show. So it's like with him, he's trying to be too fancy or trying to outthink the game. And sometimes you just got to go back to basics. And that's what we talked about with these so-called genius offensive coordinators. They want to try to reinvent the game. But sometimes you just got to go with the fundamentals and do what needs to be done. So, I mean... It was like it was like with Gruden. The thing that I said this the other week, the thing that used to make me so angry was... And I said this, I think, two weeks ago. Maybe, no, it was last week. Like you said about the tight end screen. Under Gruden, it was, I'm so sick of these damn wide receiver screens and these bubble screens. I'm sick of it. And it's like... If that's all you got, and you had extra time to no, and obviously they, they didn't rely on wide receiver screens this time. But again, like you said about the game plan, you in windy conditions, you playing against a squad with a dominant defense, you got a quarterback who's way in experience. You got to put your players in position to succeed, and it's almost like they just felt like they had Peyton Manning out there who can just improvise on the fly and make the adjustments he needs. Well, Heineke ain't that. So I don't I don't really know what Scott Turner was thinking. It's almost like uh, I compare it to in the NFL draft when um, you get these general managers sometimes. Uh, they got to be the smartest guy in the room when it's a player that they know they really should pick, but they want to throw a curveball and get somebody else because they know it all and, you know, ends up being flopped. And it's just like sometimes you just got to, just coach, man. Just, it, it's not rocket. I mean, of course, it's you know it, it, it's professional, but it, it's not rocket science. Stop, like you said, Carol, trying to reinvent the wheel. Make a game plan for your players to succeed. Know what you got. Know what you're missing, like Curtis Samuel, and go from there. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Turner's still learning on the job. It's only his second year full-time offensive coordinator, but. Coach has to sit down and talk to him along with Del Rio, which we're about to get into the defense. But uh, definitely, he he said he didn't have a problem with the play calling. I don't know if he's just saying that because he doesn't want to say nothing in the media and, you know, stir more pot with the D.C. sports media. But And I actually heard some commentators on the radio say they didn't have a problem with his play calling. I'm sitting there like, are y'all smoking crack during these games? Because some of these play calls, you're just scratching your head like, why would you do that? Why are you in shotgun on third and one? Sometimes you just need to, you know, get a back in there and, and run the ball. And, you know, it's, it's it's frustrating, but, you know, it is what it is. You just got to let him grow and hopefully start to see what he needs to do and the light will finally click on. I mean, last year, excuse me, so the same thing, starting out slow offensively and defensively. And like you said, during the year they got better and improved. Uh, Last year, the schedule wasn't as tough. This year, they have 
uh, after this game uh, coming up, they have a gauntlet, and uh, they got Mahomes. Yeah, you got Rodgers. You got yeah. It's about it's about to get ugly. So they uh, definitely don't have any time to play around. and definitely need to get their act together because if not, this season's going to turn ugly very quickly, very quickly. And defensively, uh, I said yesterday on my post game, I I don't know what. Del Rio's thought process is. I'm thinking that they're trying to they're overcomplicating things and need to simplify because that's what they did last year when they was uh starting out rough. They said they simplified things and that's when things started to click. I think they're you know pressing, trying to make things happen. Um, teams are, if you watch the first three games, you see that they're quick throwing. They're doing three and five step drops, uh, crossing plays, misdirection plays, stuff that's quick hitting so the defensive line doesn't have a chance to get to the quarterback and when they do get pressure, the quarterbacks have been mobile enough to be able to get away because it's only a four-man rush. For some reason, Del Rio doesn't want to send blitzers, but then wants to sit in zone. I'm like, if you're going to rush four, why are you playing zone? You should be playing man. And if you're going to run zone, why aren't you blitzing more to send more pressure? And not just from the outside. You got to send pressure up the gut. Going to the outside is cool, but they're chipping and, and you know, had a running back going in the flat, bumping the guys, just taking them off to the uh, to the pass rush. So uh, I'm just thinking that Del Rio has to come up with an answer for the, the quick pass. He even has to decide to start bringing more pressure with, you know, blitzes and letting the guys then play zone on the backside. Or you got to look at these corners. William Jackson is a, is a man corner. You know, Kendall Fuller, I don't know what's going on with him because he's been getting torched every game of the season. And... St. Juice is a rookie. He's learning on the job. He's going to make mistakes, but he's improving week by week. That's what you expect from your rookies, and that's what you want from your rookies. So it, I think, like you said, it's not talent. It's, it's coaching, and it's game planning, and it's strategy. And if you look on the other side of the ball with Buffalo yesterday, they kept the defense off balance because they was running so many different things, and they was doing screens and doing quick-hitting plays and doing misdirection. It's like he doesn't want to do some of those things when you know other teams' defenses are going to be keyed on trying to stop your offense because it hasn't really been going well. And the defense hasn't been doing – they get the momentum, they get the score, they know that the, that the team is going to start pressing. Then you're going to change your game plan and you're going to start trying to air the ball out instead of using the game plan that you set up for. So it it's – all I know is they got to get it together. Arun, what do you uh, think is wrong with the defense and what, what needs to happen? Is it game planning? Is it coaching? Is it players? What do you think it is? I think, like, you mentioned the pass. They're only getting the pass rush, like, if they send the blitz, but the four-man front, like, they're not injured. They're they're just not generating the pass rush right now. And they at times they got really close to, like, getting to um, Allen, but getting close isn't good enough. You have to put contact on him. And William Jackson, this, he keeps getting pass interference calls. Like, I don't know if that's – the last game against the Giants that happened, this game, it also happened. And even the Giants, like, they torched, like, the Washington defense relatively in the Falcons. They beat the Giants. They held them under 20 points. So I think the defense overall can be better. Um, Davis, um, he's been playing well. Um, and he was key in that fourth down play that they stopped. But it just overall, giving up 42 points. You're going to have to, I think, like, you're going to have to throw the ball more because of that. Like, I think overall, 
I think the most like points we're expecting Washington to score going into this one is like 28, given how good the Bills' defense is. And um, while they were set up by that special teams touchdown, I think the defense needs to be a lot better. And I agree, Del Rio, his play calling is off. I don't know. Or I don't. the defensive front was generating pressure in Pittsburgh last year when they beat the undefeated Steelers. It hasn't looked the same this year. It's could be because there was limited preseason, and hopefully they get better quickly. Well, I mean, last year there was no preseason, so that was the reason why I thought they started out to a slow start and after four games they started getting together. This year they had preseason, so, I mean, the defense – like I said, teams are quick throwing. They're no longer, you know, they were never a secret, but now they know they saw how good their front could be. And now teams are doing things to, you know, mitigate that that pressure they were getting. Quick throwing, you know, screens and stuff like that to try to use their aggressiveness against them trying to get to the quarterback. They've been pretty much, they've been pretty effective in the run game. So, I mean, they've been holding teams around 80, 90 yards. So, I mean, they're doing their job in the run game. It's just the pass, the pass game there. With them running that soft zone, the quarterback has time to pick it apart because they're only rushing four. And, you know, you got five back. Sometimes you need a running back in or the tight end, the chip. And the quarterback has all day. And you're going against elite quarterbacks now, not the, you know, teams that they played last year. So you're going against top competition that can sit back there and pick a defense apart if you're not getting pressure, making them get off of their spot. And, you know, Allen is a mobile quarterback. He had one rushing touchdown, but they pretty much, you know, kept him in the pocket. He didn't really hurt him too bad with his feet because he was killing him through the air. But it, it, it's just uh, – I think it's, they just need to simplify things and go back to basics. I mean, the tackling has been – there's been some missed tackles earlier. It was a couple yesterday, so it's been getting better. It hasn't been as much. But it's just like they're always too open. There's always wide receivers running free. I mean, with Jackson, the times that he didn't got burnt, for some reason the safety hook that was supposed to be over the top wasn't over the top. You can tell by the way he was playing outside leverage, thinking he had help on the inside. So it's a lot of miscommunication going on. Uh, I hear a lot of folks complaining about Landon Collins. Uh, you know, I haven't keyed in on him to really watch and see, you know, what he's been doing or what he hasn't been doing. But as a whole, you know, the defense has to play better. They have to communicate, have to work as one unit. And right now, they're not doing that. And, you know, folks talk about Chase Young, you know, not having any sacks, you know. I don't know. You got to figure it out. Paul, what do you uh, what do you say about the defense? Man, the thing is, with this squad, they really didn't lose anybody, right? They added a rookie middle linebacker. They didn't just forget how to play. You know, so obvious to me is something wrong with the coaching. Now, here's, here's what I was kind of alluding to earlier, right? Jack Del Rio. Y'all touched on it already. I don't know what the issue is or if he's being too vanilla or if he's trying to do too much. They, they keep sending these just four-man fronts. They don't send it. They, they don't get creative with their blitz taxes, if at all. I've been hard on Landon Collins. But some of me is starting to wonder, as a strong face, is he not giving the help adequately up top? Um, or is he biting too much on the running back, the underneath route? Is he starting to kind of look peek too much back there 
because he feels as though, damn, man, this, you know, these, for some reason, these tackles we got, I can't take up space. For some reason, you know, our linebackers can't stop the running back. The running back continuously get to the next level. I'm starting to look at Collins and wonder, is he kind of peeking back there because he feels as though he got to make a stop? I mean, he had five tackles, I think, yesterday. The sign is you never want to see your free or strong safety with that many tackles unless you're doing safety blitzes and or you're playing your safety up close, things like that, or you're playing, you know, old school, uh, you know, uh, 46 or something like that. But I just feel like the issue is, and I, and I like this, but the thing that, the, that Washington had last year that they don't have this year on defense, especially at middle linebacker, and I don't think a lot of people understand how important an experienced middle linebacker is, especially at Ron Rivera. They had Thomas Davis last year. Thomas Davis was, even though he didn't get a lot of playing time, Thomas Davis is legendary at his football IQ. Remember the old uh, video of Thomas Davis telling Dwayne Haskins in training camp, mm -hmm. uh, hey, man, you know, you staring me down. If you do that, I'm going to take you off. And Dwayne Haskins said in response, I know what I'm doing. Like, damn, Thomas Davis been in the league 16 years. You know, we met Thomas Davis down here. He said, all right, man. So I feel like not having him around, you know, that kind of hurts. But at the same time, Davis now has to learn on the job, on the fly. You know, and it, you know, of course, we got some athletes at the edge. We got Sweat. We got Chase Young. I'm, I understand, you know, our, our D tackles are big. They, they're supposed to take up space. I know, you know, they're kind of big. and But at the same time, it's like, are they considering, you know, Moving sweat and and, and uh, uh, chase young around, stunting them inside, sending creative blitz packages, stop rushing for maybe send maybe send an actual blitz. You know I don't I don't understand it. And then the thing that blows me too is you got the rookie out there, and for some reason, like you said a minute, Carol, a minute ago, Carol, they they're rushing four, but they play in zone, but they keep getting beat over the top. I don't understand that. Now, now, I understand if you're getting beat on little, you know, posts or, or you know, uh, a little underneath roots here and there. Because obviously, if you're playing a zone, you ain't got no pressure. You, you know, you can, you can get open. But to play a zone and you're getting beat over the top with rushing four, I just don't get that. And I'm looking at Del Rio like Slim. What's going on? Is it Del Rio or is it Landon Collins? Because just like I said about the defense, they couldn't have forgot how to play football. Even though Landon Collins might not have been what we thought he was last year, as much as we thought he was going to be, the dude was a beast in New York. So I'm kind of looking at Del Rio and the odd man out here. Um, and I also feel, too, I don't want to ramble, but I think as when Davis gets more experience, because I read an article today where he said he lined up, and, you know, uh, he's not he lined up in the wrong uh and it took the wrong gap because he took a gap that he's assigned to take when he was in Kentucky. So he said sometimes he gets confused between his assignments in Washington versus his assignments in Kentucky, where he had to do more. Now, okay, he's young. He, you know, and I like the guy. I think he's going to be a good player, but I feel the more he gets comfortable when he can actually begin to quarterback the defense, like Luke Keekley, like Thomas Davis, like Dan Morgan, like John Beeson, all of them guys in Carolina did under Ron Rivera. I feel like that's when you can finally start seeing those proper adjustments being made up front and seeing that defensive line start to generate pressure, start to see blitzes, start to see audibles and, 
and sometimes maybe dropping Chase Young back in coverage or just anything. But at the same time, third game in, he's not going to have that freedom. He got to demonstrate that trust. But would that Del Rio even give him that ability? No, I mean, he was I'm only a, remember, he was only a one-year starter, so that's where, you know, they probably trying to give him, yeah. you know, ease him into it because, you know, he has the athletic ability, but he still has to learn how to, you know, play that role. So they're, they're moving in slowly. A lot of folks, you know, complaining about Boston and being in coverage, and that's why they got Davis. But like you say, he has to, you know, learn the defense and know the defense and not get confused. So it, it it's going to be a process. Like you said, Del Rio definitely uh, – yeah, he has to figure something out because his, I've been looking at his game plans and the things he's been calling and doing, and, yeah, it makes no sense to me. I know they want to get pressure with just the four, but if it's not working, it's time to switch something up. Can't keep on doing the same Man. thing, expecting a different result. That's the definition of insanity. I know we're a little crazy. They got The whole insane. league has a whole year of footage. What, what do they always say? Like when Robert Griffin, um, Lamar Jackson, even though he has kind of been the difference, um, they always say, you know, you give a lead a few games or a year take, they'll figure you out. So, and now it's on Del Rio to make those adjustments. They know Washington has those, that speed and those big boys up front. They know that. They know that Davis is young. And like I said, I like him. I think he's going to be a hell of a player. But like you said, he's inexperienced. And that's why I brought up the lack of a guy like Thomas Davis. This is a young, of extremely young team. And, and I kind of feel like they neglected Maybe bringing in that old guy that might not get but a couple plays a game every so often. People don't really – look, let me give an example. Robert Parrish won a championship with the Bulls. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Moses Malone won a championship with the Spurs and David Robinson, right? Sometimes you need them old guys that might not get much time to kind of, you know, school them. Yeah. You know, because you need that leadership. Who, who is Damon Davis going to go to? to learn the nuances of that middle linebacker position, which is a very difficult position to learn on the fly. Yeah, well, Coach kept on saying they was going to think about signing a veteran linebacker to add to the core, and they re-signed Mayo, brought him back in, but they really, like I said, they really don't have any real veteran presence in that uh, linebacker core, so that's they're probably definitely playing a role in it also. They're very young on the defensive side, and uh, especially at the linebacker position, so all we can do is... Uh, Hope and pray that they figure it out in this week of uh, practice because, like I said, they had 11 days to prepare for Buffalo. And granted, Buffalo is a, you know, Super Bowl contender, but that offense hadn't got clicking until they played the Washington football team yesterday. Uh, just to go over some of those team stats, uh, Buffalo had 29 first downs. They were 9 for 15 on third down conversions. Had 122 yards rushing, 359 yards passing. A uh, total of 481 yards, and they had the ball for 35 minutes and 37 seconds. Washington only had 12 first downs. They were 2 for 11 on third downs. They had 79 rushing yards, 212 pass yards for a total of 291 yards. Time of possession, 24 minutes and 23 seconds. Excuse me. That's almost a whole quarter. That's, that's utterly ridiculous. Last week, it wasn't as bad. It was like a four or five minute. Uh, difference they won the game but the first game against the Chargers it was almost a, a seven eight minute uh, disparity and that wears on your defense also that doesn't help your defense that wears them down that's why I say you got to control the time possession you got to run the ball on offense 
because you, I mean, my thing is you look on the other sideline and see what they're doing to our defense, and the light doesn't come on and say, hmm, maybe I should try doing some of that too. It it just boggles my mind that the you know that thought process doesn't cross their mind when they see what's going on on the field. Um, and room we got us next week against the Falcons. You uh, mentioned that they beat the Giants and I held them in check pretty much. What do you uh, what do you see coming uh, coming up with this upcoming game with this Falcons team? Yeah, this Falcons team is not as explosive as it used to be. They did draft a tight end, Kyle Pitts, but they did they traded Julio Jones and they really haven't really gotten out to the big like playability that they used to get to. But they if you keep the game close like the Giants did again for the second consecutive week, they're they can come and bite you because Matt Ryan has the experience to lead a drive down the field and I think Washington's defense will have an easier job dealing with the Falcons than the Bills, but we'll see what happens on um, Sunday because also the the Falcons' defense did a much better job slowing down the Giants than Washington did. So I, I think Washington can – I had them winning this game going into the year. I'll think about that a little bit more, but we'll see what happens because Matt Ryan – and Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is a young guy, and he looks like he's getting better as the season progresses. Calvin Ridley's a good receiver, and Russell Gage, he hasn't gotten it going, but maybe if Washington plays defense like it did this past Sunday, then who knows? So Washington can win this game. Hopefully they can step up and take care of business. I agree. I can't argue anything you say. Paul, what do you uh, think coming up with this Falcons team? Man, look, Going into the season, the Falcons supposed to be in a defense that's supposed to be able to be lit up, taken advantage of. You know, when it comes to Washington, I always feel like this. And I've been feeling like this for years as a long-suffering fan. All the expectations should go out the window. Now, I'm going to say this. I feel like Atlanta is going to blow out Washington. I think it's going to be worse. Well, I don't know if they're going to score 40-something points. But I think it's going to be a more dominating performance on offense. Here's the reason why. One, Patterson has found his niche in Atlanta. Two, Julio Jones had to get out of town. Because in my opinion, now Julio Jones is a Hall of Famer, right? Calvin Ridley is Julio Jones and explosive. And Russell Gage, like you said, he was out last week. If he finds his groove and they got the young Kyle Pitts in, we just talked about them having inexperienced linebackers. Every single position that Washington struggled against, Atlanta has an elite or above, well above average talent at that position. And if you give Matt, and if they can't get pressure on Matt Ryan, I mean, I just honestly don't see how they can possibly win this game. Now, granted, I think the key to the game, and this might sound, you know, gee whiz, but we're talking about a team that's supposed to have been expected to be one of the best defenses in the NFL, period. And has, and you know, Chase Young, they had zero sacks last week on how many dropbacks? 44? Mm-hmm. If the defense can generate pressure on Matt Ryan, that's going to tell the story of the game. If they can do that, they can win the game. And it sounds simple. It sounds like for anybody that, that watches football can say that, but 
it's kind of a different context speaking about Washington with all of the talent they got. They've been building for five years to have this defensive front. They can rotate in and out, speed all over the place. Problem is, like like we said a minute ago, I, if, if if Del Rio or somebody, if they don't get more creative or they don't figure out a way to generate pressure, Matt Ryan can pick them apart. And I, I honestly can see Calvin Ridley having a 150-yard game, like one of those 150-yard two-touchdown games if it ends up, you know, if the defense struggles like last week or, or yesterday because um, – you know, Atlanta's kind of a sleep, a sneaky team, man. They 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 might they might got some struggles on defense, but their offense, man, they have some playmakers. They damn sure got more playmakers than we do. And if it comes out to a shootout, Washington's not winning that. Period. Yeah, that's uh no doubt, especially the offense is being as inconsistent as it's been, even though they have been improving with Heineke on the center. Uh, it's too much to ask for them to come back from a large deficit. You know, they saw them fight back yesterday and get 14, you know, to answer this when they went down 21 nothing. But, uh, yeah, they, they can't continue to do that. That's why I say, you know, getting off to a fast start is definitely key for this team to be successful. Um, if you was watching my Facebook feed, hold on. Okay, look like we're back up. Yeah, I don't know what's been going on. This latest update has been, uh, yeah. Ever since I did it, I've been having some issues. But uh, my with Atlanta, you know, I'm going to talk more about it in the pregame, the day of the game. But uh, you know, any team is, you know, any given Sunday they can win. This team just has to improve. If the, you know, I think it's a it's a catch twenty two. The front four isn't getting enough pressure, and in the secondary they're having too many uh, open receivers and you know too many miscommunications, too many blown coverages. So. It's it's like it's it's like an avalanche. It started out small and now it's getting worse. As they mentioned during the broadcast, you know they were making simple mistakes on offense and snapping the ball when the man in motion. If the ball hit the man coming across, he didn't time the snap count right. I mean, it's like they. I'm gonna get... interrupt you, Carol, but real quick, I, real quick, I just wanted to, to kind of like like agree with what you were saying. Like the good thing is, like I said at the beginning of the show, that I feel a little more optimistic though. Like I don't think this team is as bad as people think as weak as they look because the good thing is blown coverages and miscommunications you can fix that lack of talent you can't fix that they have talent you know so that's all I that, that, that I kind of wanted to second what you were saying a minute ago about blown coverages and stuff like that yeah that, that's just communication and folks not being on the same page but they, they got to look, like Chase said, they got to look themselves in the mirror and figure out what they need to do to get back to the defense that they they know they can be. So um, this is going to come down to a better game plan by both coordinators. Uh, like I said, it kind of disheartened me to hear Coach Rivera say that, you know, he didn't have issues with the play calls on either side. I don't uh, definitely don't agree with that, but he's the coach, and, you know, it is what it is, but uh, – yeah, it's it's a head scratcher at this point, you know. I had them, you know, like I said, I had the optimistic view. I was having them three and one in the first four. I had Buffalo as the only loss, and uh, you know, see if we can salvage and make it two and two instead of one and three. Because yeah, they go one and three with the upcoming schedule. Yeah, uh, we might as well. If they gave up 95, 95 rushing yards to Daniel Jones, I mean, we got Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm like, damn. So. I just, you know, it's just, we'll see, man. I just, 
I honestly thought they was going to pull this game off. And like you, Carl, I, put, I, I did the pick I picked Washington. I did, I did the homer move, and it didn't pay off. So I don't know, man. We'll see. We just – all I can do is hope for the best, but they got to fix those mismatches. And just one more thing, living in Charlotte for the last eight years, I will say this about Ron Rivera. He, had, he is notorious down here for being the most boring and least information-given um, coach in interviews. He never throws his guys under the bus, ever. Now, you know, a lot, there have been a lot of rumors from the locker room that leak out. You know, sometimes stuff leaks out about how in the locker room now it's a different ball game. But one thing about Ron, just living in Charlotte for eight years, watching him, he will never give you anything. In a press conference, ever. I feel you. He, uh, I don't know, just need to get it figured out. Um, if you're watching the Nats game, I'm still interested. The Nats uh, had the bases loaded in the top of the fourth. Uh, they just got a RBI double. And uh, when they walked in the run, Escobar scored a made it for one nothing. They just got an RBI double. And two man scored, and Ruiz uh, was trying to stretch it to a triple, and unfortunately got thrown out. But uh, still got two on with uh, two outs, three nothing, top of the fourth. And I guess we go ahead and use that as a segue in the Nationals talk because there's pretty much nothing else to talk about with that Washington football team lost yesterday. I'll be doing a pregame before the game uh, on Sunday giving my keys to victory and my thought process on the game after injuries and inactives and all of that good stuff. And I have a post game after, as always. But let's go ahead and get into Nationals talk. Like I said, it uh, looked like they uh, didn't get another hit, so 3 nothing going into the bottom of the fourth. And the Nationals, uh, as I said, it's the last week of the regular season. The Nationals are currently sitting 64-92. Um... Last week, they won three out of seven. They won uh, two out of three versus the Marlins and lost three out of four to the Reds, who are in playoff contention. Um, yeah, it's just uh, man, pretty much nothing to say about the Nats after they traded everyone in the trade down. Now, we pretty much knew what it was rebuilding time, but still got Juan Soto. I know Arun definitely wants to talk about some of the historic things that he's doing uh, at the plate and trying to be a back-to-back batting, uh, batting title for the National League. Um, let me go ahead and get into the first series, and I'll give Arun's uh, input on Soto, things he want to talk about. He was uh, definitely has, he all you know, Arun is a wealth of sports knowledge and information, so I can't wait to hear what he has to say about Soto. I love him, but I don't have all the stats and stuff like uh, Arun does. As I mentioned, they uh, won two out of three versus the Marlins. The first game of the series was an 8-7 loss. Uh, Dylan Floro earned the victory for Miami. He That put him at 6-6. Six and six. He went one inning, giving up one hit, no runs, no strikeouts, and no walks. Sam Clay took the loss. Uh, that dropped him to 0-5. He went no innings, giving up no hits, one run, uh, no strikeouts, and no walks. This was actually... Or excuse me, lost on a wild pitch in the top of the 11th, which played through. You know, they had the man on second. The man advanced. Wild pitch, game over, walk off. Um, well, it wasn't walk off. Um, 
Uh, Lane Thomas went two for five with a solo home run. Luis Garcia went two for five with an RBI double. And Ebert Ruiz, catcher, went three for five with two uh, two run RBI singles. Uh, the second game of the of the series was a seven one win. Uh, Josh Rogers earned his second victory of the season. He went seven and two thirds, giving up five hits, one run, and four strikeouts and two walks. Uh, Trevor Rogers took the loss. That dropped him to seven and eight. He went five and a third, giving up four hits, four runs, one of those earned, uh, with ten strikeouts and two walks. Juan Soto went two for four with an RBI double. Ruiz went two for five with an RBI single, and Garcia went two for four with an RBI single. Uh, the last game of the series, the Nationals won that one seven to five. Uh, Josiah Gray earned his first uh, victory as a as a major league pitcher. Uh, that put him at one and two. He went six innings, giving up six hits, two runs, with eight strikeouts and one walk. Uh, I'm not even gonna try to pronounce his first name, uh, but last name Hernandez <laughs> from Miami. When uh took the loss, that dropped him to one and three. He went four innings, giving up seven hits, four runs, with seven strikeouts and two walks. And Tanner Rainey earned his second save of the season. Uh, he went two-thirds of an inning, giving up no hits, no runs, with no walks and no strikeouts. Juan Soto went three for three with a two-run home run, was on base five times with two walks also. Luis Garcia uh, had a solo home run and went two for five. And Yadier Hernandez went two for five with the RBI double. Um, as I mentioned, they won two out of three against Miami. Uh, series before, they lost two out of three. So if they would have redeemed themselves, they should have got the sweep for that uh, wild pitch in the 11th. They gave up the lead late in that one. But, you know, they're basically fighting for the bottom of the division. And that's currently a half a game behind the Marlins for the worst record in the NL East. Uh, Rune, what did you uh, did you check out any of the series? And uh, what do you think is uh, in store for this team? Coming up next year. Uh, yeah the the first game was kind of disappointing, but then Martinez, I guess, he got thrown out of the game, arguing that Thorop uh, Bell was whether it was inside or outside the batting pass with Betty wasn't that good, and the bullpen wasn't good either. So they ended up losing that game. Um, but then the next game was much better. They responded with the win. Um, Soto and Ruiz with both multi-hits. Josh Rogers um, with a good pitching performance. Next game, Soto really takes over with three hits. And as you mentioned, Gray gets the win, his first career win. And um, overall, then the next game, Corbin, uh, for once, had a solid pitching performance. Uh, Soto hits multi-homers for the 11th time, so... Um, Soto really took over towards the end of the series and against the Marlins that they should be. And it was nice to see Soto uh, making his case for MVP at the end of this year. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, on the losing team, it's very rare to get MVP, unfortunately. But he's definitely been uh, doing a damn thing, and that's why I'm not really worried about this team rebuilding because they already got a nice uh, foundation with him to build around. Paul, did you check out any of this uh Series against the Marlins, and uh, what do you? Uh, I know you're a baseball guy too. What do you uh, see from this team and uh, going forward? Yeah, I didn't get to check out the uh, the Marlins series, but um, you know, I, I'm optimistic. Uh, you know, usually I'm Mr. Negative, 
<laughs> but, uh, you know, one thing I, I feel like, Carol, is we got a history about whenever me and you are optimistic about things or don't look negatively on things. Remember the year they won the World Series, right? Yep. And they were struggling. And everybody was panicking. And me and you said, on Sports on the Hill, don't worry. I think they're going to be okay. And they did. Now, I, granted, obviously, they can't make the World Series now this year. But the thing is this, right? We sat through 100, se- 100 lost seasons. And so they can build this farm club, and they built this team up over the course of nine years, right? We got that World Series. We should have, if you ask me, we should have got at least three three World Series out of them teams. If, if, just think about the future when somebody, you know, somebody looks back on the year when they had Strasburg, Rendon, Scherzer, Bryce Harper, Juan Soto, Trey Turner, and all those guys on one team. Like, how the hell didn't they make the playoffs, right? But, um... You know, it was time for them guys to make trades. Trey Turner wasn't going to come back for what they offered, and they had to trade him. Now, I'm a little late on this topic, obviously, because this happened months ago. Um, I love Max, but Max understands the business, and Max is getting old. We owe him a lot of money still, too. Trey Turner wasn't going to come back for that much money. He, he, he probably wants $350 million, $400 million, whatever. Juan Soto's probably going to end up being the most valuable baseball player of all time. I wish they could have did a Fernando Tatis deal with him, but that's kind of, you know, taking advantage of him. So, I, you know, I feel a little bit guilty locking him into a deal that in uh, four years is going to be vastly outdated and he's going to be on the cheap. But, um, you know, I, I'm just – I'm happy that they're now – they're in a kind of a rebuild mode, but the prospects we got back are getting their reps. Now, Keyboom is a pro- has been a prog- uh, project for a while now. Didn't correct me if I'm wrong? Didn't he get? Did he get LASIK surgery? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm done with I'm done with Keyboom because he's cost his team some games that I stressed that I watched like Man. running the bases wrong or making a bad play at third yeah. or overthrowing the ball. I'm 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 done with the Carter Keyboom experiment. Yeah, I, I I'm a little irritated. Um, I feel like if he didn't get LASIK. Hope he did. I'm I'm trying to figure out if that's something that I was hoping he did. Like uh, like uh, what was it? Who was it? Carlos Rogers that yep. did that after he left Washington and suddenly they can catch again. Um, yep. But um, you know, I just you know we finally got a young catcher that to me looks like he has a hell of a lot of potential. Um, and you got to excuse me because names because they're so they're still new. I'm not remembering all the names, but I like Gray. I really do like Gray as a nice young uh, future starting pitcher. I'm kind of disappointed, though. The thing that disappointed me the most this season was I wanted to see Joe Ross in his second year back from his surgery. Because remember, when he first was starting, he had some nasty stuff. But he don't seem to be back yet. And the other thing, Carl, I took a lot of heat for this year after year. And I've been saying it. Now, I was wrong when I said it before they won the World Series. But I said it after they won the World Series. I said they need to trade Steven Strasburg now for a lot of prospects while he's hot because the man will never play a full season, and I don't think he has many more years left in They didn't. He's hurt again. His stock is way down. If he comes back next year, his stock is going to be down. Because unless, unless he has a miraculous recovery, I've been feeling like they should. I, I felt this, though, just like they let Rendon go after that World Series because he wanted too much money. Rightfully so. Make your money. I'm never mad at somebody making their money. I felt like... Last year, last season, even though it was shortened by COVID, obviously, I felt like last year should have been the year when they should have made the moves that they made this year. 
they should have traded Strasburg last offseason. I truly believe that. Now, that being said, they still got him. And he's still an elite top pitcher. Now, he can recover and, you know, end up with a Cy Young next year. Who knows? But I feel like they freed up some money. They get, they're getting younger. They needed to get younger. I like the prospect. We need a lot more, obviously. I think we got about two more years of uh, being near the basement, especially with this NL East now. Um, you know, with the Braves, even though they kind of disappointed somewhat early on this season, the Mets really let down. I don't know what happened there. Um, Phillies, you know. I mean, that's the other Phillies. Um, but I'm optimistic. I kind of like baseball because, as opposed to football, that's why I like baseball more now because you know it takes time. Football, well, at least in Washington. We act like we we act like we're the Patriots. Our generation remembers the '80s too much, where we feel like we're supposed to be in the playoffs for Super Bowl every year. Baseball, we understand it takes time. Build your farm system, unless you want to be like the Yankees, go over the luxury tax. Obviously, Nationals can't do that because of the broadcasting deal. They lose a lot of money. They can't do that. But I, I feel I feel good about the team going forward, man. I feel like going into the next year, they, we'll see some development. They'll probably make some good off-season moves and free agency. I don't know who's available just yet. I haven't researched that. But I'm going to say one more thing. The man that they continue to avoid to get, that they've had at least three chances to get, are all the chaps. I feel like now it's too late. If he if he ends up becoming available, it's like don't even waste your time. The dude's been pitching 106 miles an hour for, for you know, seven years now. I feel like he'll throw his arm out if we can get him away from the Yankees. But uh, that's just kind of a side note. But I'm happy, man. I kind of feel like, you know, hey, they was dudes. We got a World Series out of it. If somebody told us Washington could win a Super Bowl, you know, three years ago, if they ended up, I don't know, uh, five and twelve, five and five and eleven. Well, five and twelve this year, seventeen. I say shit. I I take that. We got a world. We got a, a Super Bowl. So I'm not mad. Yeah, uh, I don't agree on the Strasburg thing because you know he uh, rounded in the form of that playoff run. They were hoping that you know the lighter clicked on and he could be the team's next Max Scherzer. You know, and ride out his career and turn into that dominant pitcher. Unfortunately, the neck injury. You know. They already knew with his throwing motion that he was going to, you know, have some issues. He changed his throwing motion. Just before he even came in the league. Yeah, so he changed his throwing motion. That's why he throws from the stretch now. He doesn't, you know, he always throws from the stretch no matter if it's a man on or not to change some of the motion in it. And, you know, he had a neck issue. Hopefully, you know, he get back right, come back next year, and, you know, like I said, get back on track. But, yeah, they had to, you know, they had to rebuild. You can't be on top all the time. They won a division. You know, three out of five years, you know, made the playoffs. They finally got the championship. So now you got to, you know, they didn't have the arsenal, like you say, with the money to, you know, have a dynasty and have a team together for years and years and, you know, go on runs. You know, they had to learn how to become a champion, and they did that under Davey. And, you know, this is only his, you know, third, fourth year of being a manager. So he had some learning to do because he was given a team with, you know, great talent, youth, and a veteran. And now he's having to build the team and teach these inexperienced guys the things that the experienced guys had when he got there. So he's cutting his teeth being a manager, too. So it's going to take, you know, they're going to have some rough patches. But like you say, in about a year or two, they're going to be back to where we're used to seeing in the last few years. And uh, let's go ahead and wrap up this uh, Cincinnati Reds series. As I mentioned, they lost three out of four. Uh, The Reds, as I mentioned, are fighting for play on their playoff lives. Uh, the lone victory for the Nats was the first game of the series, a 3-2 win. Uh, Patrick Corbin, as the rule uh, said, uh, had a 
um, promising start. You know, we've seen him implode many times. Uh, he went that drop that made him nine and fifteen for the season with that victory. He uh, went six and two thirds, giving four hits, no runs, seven strikeouts, and four walks. Uh, Luis Castillo took the loss. That dropped him to eight and sixteen. He uh, went six innings, giving him six hits, two runs, six strikeouts, and two walks. Um, Kyle Finnegan earned his eleventh save of the season. That he went one inning, giving up two hits, two runs, with one strikeout and no walks. Juan Soto went three for three again with two walks. Had two solo home runs. He was on base for 10 straight plate appearances uh, with his great OPS. And he's, uh, like I said, fighting for the division uh, title for the Batman. Uh, looks, uh, hopefully he can uh, win it again because he won it last year. Went back to back. Just shows his discipline at the plate and everything. And great eye. He, yeah, like I said, with him on the team, I'm not really worried. Uh, and also, uh, Josh Bell went two for three with the RBI single in that game. Uh, the second game was a uh, 8-7 loss and went extra innings in the 11th. Art Warren got the victory. That put him at 3-0. He went one inning, gave him no hits, no runs, with two strikeouts in the walk. Uh, Thompson. Mark Thompson, I believe. I uh, can't read my hand right. He took the loss. That dropped him to 1-2. He didn't get it out. He gave up one hit, one run. Four five, no strikeouts and no walks. As I mentioned it's an extra inning game, man on second. Uh, Josh Bell went one for four with an RBI double. Ruiz went three for five with an RBI single and a solo home run. And Escobar went two for six with two for six with the RBI double and a solo home run. Uh, the third game in the series was a seven six loss. Uh, Michael Givens earned the victory. That put him at four and three. He went one inning, gave him no hits, no runs. With no strikeouts and no walks. Patrick Murphy took the loss. That dropped him to 0-3. He went in the third. He got one hit, one run, two strikeouts and a walk. I mean, no walks, I'm sorry. Uh, Lane Thomas went two for five with a solo home run. Ruiz went one for four with a solo home run. And Josh Bell went two for five with the RBI single. And the last game of the series was an ugly 9-2 loss. Uh, Tyler Mack earned the victory. That put him in 13-6. He went six innings, giving up three hits, one run, wasn't earned, uh, six strikeouts and two walks. Josh Rogers uh, took the loss. He went four and two-thirds, giving up seven hits, uh, three runs, three strikeouts and four walks. He went four and two-thirds. Uh, there really were no offensive highlights of this game that they talk about. Uh, next up, as I mentioned, they're playing the game in Colorado. They're still up 3 nothing. Uh, top of the fifth with a man on second. Uh, 2 0 pitch with no man out. You know, the Nats are looking to add to it. Uh, they have a three game series with Colorado. Uh, tonight was an 8 o'clock start. Uh, tomorrow is a, no, tomorrow is an 8 o'clock start, 8 40 start, I'm sorry. And Wednesday is a 3 10 start. Then they uh, are home for the last series of the season against the Boston Red Sox. Friday is a 7 o'clock start. Saturday is a 4 o'clock start. Sunday is a 3 o'clock start. Uh, I tell I, you what, if they playing, are they playing in Colorado? This series in Colorado? Yeah, they're in Colorado. Yep. I tell y'all one thing. That's the park that if Juan Soto want to solidify MVP and get his batting title. That's the park to do it in. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, definitely. balls fly out of that place like crazy. Yeah, it looked like he'll get a chance to bat with a man on. 
This is in the on deck circle. So we'll see what uh Mr. Soto can do to add to it. Cause like I said, he's been on a great run. He's uh leading the NL in batting average. And uh like I said, I know he would love to win it back to back. Uh so out of this last uh week of action, what do you uh anticipate for the Nats to do with these last uh six games of the season, Paul? Uh, I feel like maybe a, if we're lucky, an even split, 3-3. Three, three. Um, I don't follow the Red Sox as much. I don't follow the AL as much. Um, so I don't know exactly where they stand. Ever, here's the thing. Whenever the Nationals end up being out of it, I kind of stop looking at potential contenders in the World Series. Because, you know, I mean, look, we had a team where every year they were favored to go to the World Series for a long time. So I would I used to know a lot about the American a lot. So um I can't really speak um surely about what's gonna happen with the Red Sox series. So I'm just gonna play it safe and say it even split. Three three. Alright, all right. We got one Soto at the plate. Uh got first and third, no outs. Uh, we're gonna see what Mr. Soto Oh he got does. that. Okay, first pitch is outside, one and no. Yeah, Juan is in the room while we're watching this. Why don't you uh, break down some of the info you had on Juan Soto? I know you said you wanted to speak on this fantastic young man. Yeah, like through those uh, plate appearances, those 12 plate appearances, he had a home run, home run, single, two walks, single walk, another home run, two doubles, and a couple more walks. Pretty crazy that he got on base all those times in a row. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, his his batting eye is ridiculous for him to be so young and to be so disciplined to plate and know the strike zone. You don't get that combination in the young kid like that, and that's all they talk about on MLB Network is his eye. And with him yeah, he's the only young. player with more walks, 124 than strikeouts, 83 this season. So that's nice. pretty ridiculous. Yeah. And, I mean, that, that's some Barry Bonds. I mean, I'm not saying he'll hit 70-some home runs, but the amount of walks and also the ability – to still hit it off the park and still get on base with, you know, still knock in runs too. It's astounding. I mean, it's, easy, it's almost like either you get in a walk or you strike out or you get a home run. I mean, this dude does it all. If they don't walk him, like, like Carl said, first and third, he's the type that'll end up knocking two wins just because he knows, okay, I'm going to hit it in the gap, knock two wins. I mean, that guy's incredible. Well, he ended up knocking in one on the fielder's choice. So it's uh, actually four nothing now with a uh, man on first. He uh, ran. He uh, ran out the the hit and got the uh, fielder's choice. Escobar was out at second. Josh Bell's at the plate right now with Soto on first. Uh, one and no count with one out. Uh, Room, what do you think this team is going to uh, do with this last week of the season? Think they're going to split, or they might actually win the last week of the season? Yeah, it'll be interesting, especially that last series against the Red Sox because. They're fighting for a playoff spot with Brian's Yankees, so I don't know how I feel about the Nats helping the Yankees, but we'll see how that goes. And I think if the Red Sox lose, I just might say more about them choking away this their playoff lead because they just lost a couple games to the Yankees in dramatic fashion. So um, I would say normally a three and three week, but you never know. It could be a more positive week for the Nationals, but that just be because the Red Sox are not playing up to their potential. <laughs> well, I like Brian, and, you know, <laughs> I would love to have 
heard what he had, to, what he what he thinks. We all know Brian and his Yankees, so um, I never thought I'd say it. But for his sake, I'd like to see the Yankees get get on in there and, and, and the Red Sox just stay home. So, you know, I, I like Brian. But, you know, Brian, Brian and his Yankees, boy, you, you can't say nothing about those Yankees. Yeah, it's been a roller coaster ride for him with the Yankees this year, with all the New York teams this year. So after that Giants game, yeah, he uh, yeah, he was a little upset. So yeah, yeah he feeling feeling a little sick. I saw he said today. So hope he feels better too. Yeah, yeah, I talked to him. That's one reason why he not on there said he wasn't feeling that well. But you know, that's why we have a great team. You got a room. Got you. You know, filling in. Appreciated the room. Uh, let the folks out. Me and Paul gonna talk a little boxing. If you want to stick around, if you want to go ahead and cut out because I appreciate you taking the time out to come on tonight. Uh, I'll cut out. I'm not the boxing expert that Paul is. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll right, listen up, but I'll definitely sleep the Zoom. But uh, thanks for having me on. You can find me on the Hey Aaron podcast. Um, I'll try to get some more episodes out there. Been talking more about uh, fantasy football lately. Hopefully I can get everyone. Maybe I'll get a listener question segment for people who need advice. Thank I you, Carroll. <laughs> All right, sounds good. We might got to have a fantasy football corner on the pregame. I might got to hit you up on Sunday, do a little fantasy football. Well, I'm getting football you off too, because <laughs> I need some help. <laughs> hey, man, yeah, I got to come back. Yeah, I, had a, I don't even want to talk about this. I'm just throw this week away, man. I don't even want to talk about this week and pick them off in fantasy. But uh, waiver hey, wire week, that's what it is. <laughs> I don't even know, man. <laughs> but all right, everyone, I'll let you get out of here, man. I appreciate you taking the time and uh, catch you next week if you're available. Sure, thanks for having me on. All right, man, take it easy. Mm. All right, yeah. we got me and Paul, the boxing guy. So, uh, Paul, what's been going on in the boxing world lately? Man. I don't shy away when I'm okay. Let me start over. All right, I brag about my accuracy in picking fights. I always face the music when I'm wrong, but then again, I guarantee you, ninety about now, I'll say about eighty-eight percent of people was wrong with the Joshua Usyk fight. But I'm gonna start before that. I was a little upset. I don't know if we talked about this. Um, I'm thankful now that they found the issue with Errol Spence's eye before he put Pacquiao out. But I was disappointed that we didn't see that fight. Um, Pacquiao ended up fighting Ugas, who was way underrated. Um, I don't know why people thought that he was going to be some pushover. And he beat the brakes off Pacquiao. Pacquiao now is retired. He said he's running for president of the Philippines next year. And I'm like, I would too. Why would I stand in there? And, I mean, he's older than me. I don't even like getting out of the bed without cutting and cracking my knuckles and, you know, being sore. So I'm damn sure I'm not fighting some 20-something-year-olds. Uh, in the prime of their life, so um, you know we saw him take uh, take down Pacquiao, um, but you know we saw Canelo showing his hands. I don't I look. I don't know why these people keep hating on Canelo. Uh, he's fighting Caleb Plant, and Caleb Plant he's, he's good, another good fighter, just like Billy Joe Saunders, just like um, I forget his name now. All the guys in England, you know, he's fighting real big dudes. I mean, Canelo has fought everybody from 147 to light heavyweight. I mean, I feel like if the dude wanted to, he can fight. Anthony Joshua. I mean, he's like, why not? But uh, they had a, a little face-off at the, you know, the press conference. And Canelo don't talk a lot of press. Um, I think there was a language misunderstanding because Canelo pushed Caleb Plant. And when Caleb Plant came back and threw a punch, you know, Canelo being Canelo, 
This man had on, you know how them Caribbean dudes dress, right? <laughs> he had on some white tight slacks, a bright yellow tucked in polo shirt, and some little, you know, loafers or something. Taylor Plant threw the punch, Canelo pulled back and hit him with a, a two-piece so quick that people thought that he didn't land a punch. I had to remind somebody, I said, you know, did you notice before Canelo threw that punch, Plant had on sunglasses. He didn't have on sunglasses after that punch, and he had a cut. So Canelo hit him with a quick two-piece and, and loafer. So <laughs> Canelo about that business, so they're going to fight in a few weeks. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but I think the language issue was, uh, so Canelo said that he talked about his mother. And that, because Canelo don't, don't really act like that. But here's the problem. Taylor Plant said I didn't do that, and I wouldn't do that. And I noticed about him because I remember when it happened. Taylor Plant said my mother got killed by the police. I would never do that. And this happened only about two or three years ago. What I think happened was I think he might have called Canelo, you know, bring it, motherfucker, something like that. And Canelo maybe misunderstood it because, you know, he's he not really a good English speaker. Mm -hmm. And he might have misinterpreted it because I really don't buy Kayla Plant talking about his mom, especially when his mom, and this was big news, she got killed by the police. I don't think that he would do that. But regardless, Kayla Plant left with a cut. Uh, and he, he, now, you know, I feel like Canelo had already won the fight. He should get two wins if you beat him in the ring. <laughs> and the press uh, conference. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, just give, give, give him the win. But let's go to the um, it's two fights, two more fights coming up. I got a lot to say, but I'm going to try to convince it because I ran. My man, Anthony Joshua, I predicted him to beat out Alexander Usyk. Now, let me tell you something about Alexander Usyk. Y'all heard me talk about Lomachenko on this show a lot. Usyk and Lomachenko are good friends. They both won gold medals in the Olympics. Actually, Usyk and Joshua won gold medals in the Olympics in the same year. Um, Usyk is a small guy. He came up from cruiserweight, so he beat literally the shit out of everybody at cruiserweight. He had all four world titles at cruiserweight. Joshua had three of the world titles at heavyweight, and we know that Wilder, I mean, that Josh, uh, Fury has the fourth, the WBC at heavyweight. So Usyk is a smaller guy, sort of like when Holyfield moved up to heavyweight. Um, his first two fights at heavyweight weren't very impressive, but he won. People were concerned he didn't have the power. But let me tell you something about this dude. This dude got the boxing skills. One thing that you have heard me say repeatedly, Carl, about Anthony Joshua, besides the fact that he had too much muscle, was that his trainer should have been fired a long time. His trainer has trained him basic boxing skills, right? And Joshua, I give him credit. So here's, here's, here's the problem. He was supposed to fight Tyson Fury. In, on in August. Tyson Fury was secretly still negotiating with Deontay Wilder for a trilogy. They had the date set. Joshua put on a bunch of muscle because he wanted to be able to, you know, Fury, six foot eight. He wanted to be able to kind of have some weight behind him against Fury. Well, Fury cancels the fight. Joshua has to find a new opponent. Alexander Usyk comes up. When he looked at him as a fill-in, just like when he looked at Ruiz as a fill-in last year when um, his fight got canceled. I remember I said before the Ruiz fight, I said, don't sleep on Ruiz. That man got hands, and Joshua got a weakness on the inside with shorter fights. Well, Usyk the same way, but here's the difference between Usyk and Ruiz. Usyk was already ranked in the pound-for-pound pound top ten list. Usyk was the number one ranked heavyweight contender for every single belt except for the WBC, because Deontay Wilder is, is that uh, number one contender. Joshua needs to realize, and I think the, the people criticizing him and getting to him, to, 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 
Joshua has the best resume out of all the heavyweights, right? But because he don't talk a lot, people love to say Fury, Wilder, Joshua ain't fought nobody. When in actuality, the only people that Fury and Wilder beat or fought are each other. Them two dudes ain't fought nobody. Think about this. Tyson Fury has been heavyweight champion twice, and he has never defended his belt. <laughs> Ever. Think, think about that stat. So I'm kind of hoping, believe it or not, that Wilder knocked the shit out of him this time. Now, I don't like how Wilder did his trainer, um, long-time trainer, but um, I hope Wilder knocks out Fury for what he did to Joshua, canceling that fight, but back to Joshua. So he took Usyk as a fight. I'm already looking at it like, I don't know, man. Like, I think it's been getting to him because people say he ducks people, and even though he doesn't, I, you know, people say that about Floyd. If, here's the thing, uh, Carl, and you know, I think you can understand this. If you are the undisputed champion, I don't owe you shit. You come to me. Joshua's undisputed champ. But yet, he was the opposite of Floyd, where anybody that wanted to come for him, no matter how good they were and how unnecessary the risk was, he took it anyway. And this is what happened with Usyk. You take this man that is a top 10 pound-for-pound fighter as a replacement. He came down and lost. I think he lost 40 pounds this, this uh, weight camp. And he looked slim. He don't, he don't look like he got confidence behind his power anymore. Um, Usyk was able. He's a southpaw. He was set in traps. Uh, Joshua didn't know what to do. He didn't make adjustments. Um, you know, one thing I thought Usyk kept doing was jabbing Joshua's right hand away to open up um, that guard so he can bring that hand back and block it and then come back with a counter left. Um, Joshua started to kind of pick it up, pick it up a little bit mid-round, started hitting him in that body and kind of wore him down. But the things were Joshua, with his trainer McCracken, does not make adjustments. He doesn't know how to work behind his jab. He doesn't have confidence in his power no more because of what happened after the, uh, the Ruiz fight. He seems like he's fighting tentatively now. Um, and if you look at the pictures of the fighters after the fight, you would think that Joshua won the damn fight. Hmm. Now, the scorecard, even though he put on a clinic, the scorecards make the fight seem like it wasn't as close as it was. Joshua had his moment. But the problem is Joshua can't adjust. I mean, Usyk was, was going left, right, left, right, you know, just circling him, getting inside, taking advantage of him, working that inside. And Joshua had no answer. He couldn't land that up because he depends on him. He seemed hesitant to throw punches. He didn't lean on him. I mean, Usyk is probably 6'1", 6'2". Man, you 6'7", like Lennox Lewis used to do. Put that weight down on you in the clinch. He didn't do that. I think that's a training thing. So I'm looking forward to the rematch. Hopefully Joshua can get his belt back. If not, Usyk has a chance to do one of the greatest accomplishments in heavyweight history if he uh, beats Joshua again and then ends up fighting the winner of the Fury Wilder 3 fight and gets all four belts um, so I'm looking forward to that, and uh, we've already talked about Wilder Fury 3. That's coming up in a few weeks. I'm going for Wilder, believe it or not. I don't think he's going to win, but I'm going for him. <laughs> um, but the one fight, Carl, I'm on record for saying this now. I'm on record for saying this is my hot take. You ready for this one? All right. November. November. Bud Crawford fights Sean Porter, right? This is the first real name he fought at Welterweight. The first real name he's fought at Welterweight now. He ain't fought Keith Thurman and Errol Spence and Sean Porter and Daniel Garcia and all these other guys yet. I'm not going front. I like Sean Porter, right? Oh, well, he beat Kelbrook, but Kelbrook washed up. 
Um, my high take is this. I think Sean Porter is going to upset Bud. I think Sean Porter is going to beat Terrence Crawford. And I think it's going to be one of those fights where people are going to be stunned when they see how, what's the word I'm looking for, how uncomfortable Terrence Crawford is going to end up looking. I like Bud. Again, people think I don't like Bud. I like Bud. But here's the thing about Sean Porter, if you look at his fight, he looks messy, but he is a 100% 12 rounds of constant pressure. He makes you fight his fight. His strategy is to make you uncomfortable. And the one thing about Bud is he's susceptible to taking unnecessary shots. And the one person, to me, out of all the welterweights besides Earl Spence, you know, Earl Spence, my guy, out of all of the welterweights besides Earl Spence that I think could beat Terrence Crawford, is Sean Porter. And I, and may, I, Ubers, as good as he is, I think Bud beats him. But I, I, I'm really thinking, I'm, I, if I if I could bet in North Carolina, I might have to drive up to the Virginia border to place a bet, an MGM bet. <laughs> I think Sean Porter going to win that fight, man. Uh, so book it. You can book it. If I'm wrong, I come back on, and then I'll I, I fess up. But that's all that's kind of going on that's, that's going on in the near future right now. So, so you know, it's a couple, a couple things. Hey man, sounds interesting. Can't wait. I might gotta start placing bets because you do have a, a very high percentage of being right. So I'm a Bud Crawford fan, you know. We're gonna see, you know, he, he hasn't, you know, we talked about his promoter and him not fighting enough and, you know, doing the right things because it's promotion and all of that good stuff. So like you said, uh Sean Ford is definitely gonna put that work in and we're gonna see what Crawford does. You know, I've been a fan of his since, you know, he won the belt. Uh, I believe it was uh, HBO, so I was a fan of his fighting style and uh, his dominance in the ring. <clears throat> Excuse me, but uh, yeah, we're going to see what happens. And by then, I should probably have my new uh, setup where I'll be having all the uh, boxing. I had the zone and everything, so I'll be able to check out oh, all the fights go. also. So, yeah, I'll be able well, to see I mean, it's like, it's like Bud, but it's like the thing about Sean Ford is it's not pretty. So people that it's, he's not an entertaining fighter to watch, right? But he smothers you, man. And one thing that Bud Crawford needs to say, because for him to be such a light guy, he does have a hell of a reach. And he has a good... He, his strength is maintaining distance. He, may, he knows how to stay in range. But the one thing Sean Porter, and I have yet to find one fighter that has prevented Sean Porter from doing this outside of Kell Brook, is Sean Porter will never allow you an inch of room to be comfortable. And Errol, uh, uh, Terrence Crawford going to have his hands full, man. It, if he wins, he's going to leave with some scars. Because it, it, I really do think that's going to be a real a real slugfest. I got, I get Sean Porter the edge on that one, though. Just cause mainly because he's naturally bigger, too. All right. We'll definitely be on the lookout for that fight coming up in November. So uh, let the folks know what you got going on, where they can find you at, Paul. Hey, man, you can find me on Instagram, P from Charlotte, all one word, Instagram, pugilist underscore HQ. I post most of the, you know, the major stuff on there. I don't post as much of the, the kind of other, you know, uh, lesser known stuff, fighters on there, because I got a lot of fighters that I watch that most people don't know. Um, so you can follow me on Instagram at P from Charlotte, or you can follow me on Instagram at pugilist underscore HQ, P-U-G-I-L-I-S-T underscore HQ. Appreciate, as always, you taking the time out to bless us with your boxing knowledge and insight. As always, you can check us out uh, every Monday night, Sports on the Hill podcast. 
True Radio Network, streaming live on Facebook, uh, Twitter, YouTube. I'm working on getting the IG feed up, running uh, like we're doing at the Bar Radio. You can check out all of the content on sportsotchp.com. Uh, you can check out the YouTube channel, Carol Porter the Third with three eyes. Just changed up the uh, link and everything, so you just got to do a YouTube forward slash Carol Porter the Third. Take you right to my page. Um, check us out. Like I said, I'll do my pregame show uh, before the game on Sunday, postgame show on the At The Bar Radio at 6 o'clock Sunday night, every, well, just about every Sunday. Uh, be on the lookout uh, October 9th out in Martinsburg, uh, West Virginia. Renegade will be opening up for Tory Lanes out there, and we will be in the building at The Bar oh. Radio 151 Renegade. So I missed the live performances down in Miami because I was working, but I already told my boss. Yeah, I need to leave early on Saturday because, uh, yeah, I got to check out this live performance out there in West Virginia. So I got a new video to play uh, from their time down in Miami when uh, Renegade was down there performing. And, you know, got to throw some Renegade in there and a couple of my favorites of Dependence. I'm going to change up some of the music soon once I get a chance to upload some new videos. But, as always, appreciate y'all checking us out. DC Sports about the politics. It's not just a catchphrase. It's not just a motto. Is what we do. Appreciate y'all checking us out. See you next week. We out. I gotta wake up and go get the bread. I gotta buy it and clip up and smash. She all in the village to give it me sex. I gotta slack, swell my ass. Can't up on a move that's a digital dash. Hey, bitch, just losing, I'm living these fans. Never go broke I got me a stash. I could never ever live in the past.
few years ago, I told myself I'd be the next big thing in the industry. See, the game is simple. Life has its way to show us that anything is possible. <laughs> the power of the tongue, which has the ability to be detrimental or beneficial. Was it beneficial? I'll leave that one up to y'all. This is my story from me to you. Listening to this song right now, I'm speaking specifically to you. I want to give you my testimony, tell you a little bit about myself, <laughs> if you don't mind. Coming from nothing, but a little struggle and pain. Uh, crazy how we can all turn around for you and change. Uh, I done seen a lot of things in the street, one danger to me. Hustling with them niggas that was no good for me. But I never gave up, ten toes prayed up. Thinking about the nights when the opposition got sprayed up. Trying to see a sunny day, all I get is rainy days. Screaming free my dogs and the loved ones who ain't here today. Trying to get up out the hood This thing we call poverty But that's all inside of me Used to cry myself to sleep But strong I gotta be Now I'm on TV Gotta make it out the street Troubled child turned his dreams to reality See I knew that I would get there All along Listen to the words of the song This is my story Street, man, I never forget they told us we was bad, always getting in some shit, breaking windows from throwing rocks, but we was just being kids and smoking at the park, coming in after dark, rolling with dumb thug niggas, reckless with no heart, sexing on them, hood rats addicted from the start, trapping and catching cases, ghetto life is so hard, coming from a broken home, left me all alone, neglected as a child with nothing to call my own, but now that I'm good, now that I'm paid, I'm shining, everything is okay. Gonna be disco 
Take a promise, I give it some love, I make a wish, I promise love, you know you gotta get it right, you know you gotta get it right, Ooh. every little thing counts now, every little bit of day. So cool just to celebrate I am.